everyone. Welcome to another episode with Mommy with Maya. Sorry, I gotta start all over. <laughs> I'm like with myself. <sighs> okay. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode on Mommy with Maya. I'm your host, Tamaya, and today we're going to be talking about how to prepare for being induced. In just a second, I will let our guest speaker introduce herself. But I just wanted to put the disclaimer out there that although the guests that are normally on my podcast episodes are trained and have went to school and college for this field, to please consult your doctor um, or healthcare provider before taking any advice that you may hear. As we all know, especially with pregnancies, that each and every one is different. So we want to make sure that you're getting the best care advised by your doctor. But um, I still wanted to talk about what to expect when you hear oh, you need to be induced or you may need to be induced. So without further ado, I would like to introduce our guest speaker. And um, if you could just share your name, your credentials, and if you would like um, to leave some contact information or social media information, if anyone um, wants to reach out to you or reach out to me to send to you, um, how they can get in contact with you. Okay, sure. Hi, everyone. I am Dr. Megan Monroe. I am a first-year resident physician specializing in obstetrics and gynecology. I recently graduated from Cooper Medical School of Rhone University. Uh, Prior to that, I obtained my master's from Georgetown in physiology. And the way that me and uh, Maya know each other is through my careers at University of Maryland College Park, Go Terps, (laughs) where (laughs) I got my uh, degree in public health. So it's been a long journey. I knew that I wanted to be an obstetrician since I was about... Mm, 13 or so it started off just I was um, curious about my body and then I started to learn more and more about the field and you know the the women in my family are extremely important to me and the thread that holds us all together and so caring for women is definitely something that's extremely fulfilling to me and I'm extremely happy to finally be in the position that I am in. Um, As far as my contact information, my Instagram is public. Um, It's Mego, no good. Um, M-E-G-O-N-O-G-O-O-D. And you can contact me through there with any, you know, um, any comments or, or questions. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, I'm so glad to have you and congratulations. It's been a long journey for you. <laughs> so you are doing what you said you've dreamed about and um mm-hmm. and especially during COVID, you are essential. So thank you for being essential and the work that you do. Um, especially being a woman of color in this field um is so important. So I'm just super glad to have you. Um I'm happy to be here. Good, good, good. Um, So let's just jump right in. Um, So the first question pretty much is, what is an induction and why might a provider say someone might, might need one? 
Yes. So inducing someone's labor is just that you are starting up their labor. And there are many different ways to um, try to do that. Um, But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, But the reasons why you might need to be induced include like, um, if you're... um, if, um, sorry, I'm just trying to make sure that I got my notes correct. Um, so the reasons why someone would induce you is if you are having, um, if you are, uh, where are my notes? If you are having like preeclampsia or eclampsia, if you had like gestational hypertension, if you had uh, gestational like diabetes. So basically just reasons that if you go to too far past a certain um, point in your pregnancy, then the 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 risks outweigh the benefits. So sometimes babies, if they cook a little bit too long, and there are issues with um, you know them getting maybe too large to fit, or if mom is sick and not able to be stable enough for a uh for labor or for um like to wait longer to to have the baby then that's when we would um go ahead and induce her labor because it's better to have the baby out than in basically that's the the main reason if the baby is safer out than in that's when we would go ahead and induce mom thank you yes Mm -hmm. um i hear so many people but they're normally not first time moms, but um, they, it might be their second or third, but they definitely have children and they're like, I'm just going to ask my doctor to induce me. Like I'm tired of being pregnant. And mm-hmm. um, it's, mm-hmm. sometimes, I mean, again, like you said, unless there's like a health condition um, or something mm-hmm. along the lines like that, um, as mm-hmm. a doula, I try and tell them to, um, I mean, I'm not sure what provider would just elect to do that, but, <laughs> um, but not to, I'm the only, yeah, right? no, I know how uncomfortable, um, you know, pregnancy, pregnancy can, can be. be, but if there yes. are not any like health conditions that are pressing, um, let the baby mm-hmm. cook. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. There are so there like if if you're after forty weeks, we'll go ahead and induce you. Right. Because that's that's excessive. And there is a certain amount of time that the placenta is the placenta has a very specific amount of time that it's effective for. So after like 41 weeks, it's not as effective. And so that can be detrimental to baby. And so we definitely at at, at my hospital, we induce at 40 and five, if you haven't gone into labor yet, um, 40 weeks and five days. Um, but, you know, there are some places that do it earlier than that, because it was shown that um, there was no like benefit to keep it afterwards. And it would, you would have more of a likelihood of successful uh, induction if you do it a little bit earlier. Um, but yeah, there, the, if you come in at like 35, 36 weeks, and you're like, I'm tired of this, please, get this baby out nobody's right. gonna <laughs> we're not gonna I'm sorry we can't we can't do that no you're uncomfortable I'm very sorry for that but it's it's only a little bit longer when <laughs> we can't do that right so um so let's talk about the methods um that people can be induced I know there are multiple ways um mm-hmm. so yeah 
Yeah. So um, there are a couple of different methods. There are some that you can like do uh, your, your provider can do in the office or you can kind of do at home. So there's this thing called stripping the membranes. And when you check someone's cervix, um, the membrane of the, the, like the sac that the baby is living in is like right up on the cervix. And so sometimes you can kind of like run your finger around that area between the uh, cervix and the uh, the sac, the the uh, the membranes, and that can um, increase your likelihood of labor within like forty eight hours, and you'll get cramping and and some bleeding for the next day or so, um, spotting just because it's like in a really aggressive cervical check, um, but that can induce your labor, and a lot of physicians do that in the office, and then later on, I see them in the hospital. They're like, I'm cramping, like I feel like you know I'm having contractions, and that can induce your labor that way. Um, there's also a way that you can kind of do at home and called nipple stimulation. Um, it works when your cervix is kind of already, like if you had babies before, if your cervix is what they call favorable, where it's kind of softer and a little dilated already. Um, and it's like one nipple at a time. You stimulate the nipple and then you stimulate another. Um, and that kind of releases some um, oxytocin, which is uh, the brain's version of pitocin which is one of our other methods of inducing labor. Um, and it kind of, it had, your uterus has receptors for this oxytocin hormone that causes contractions and nipple stem can do that. It's not the most effective, but those are the ways that um, you can do kind of at home. Um, well, the nipple stem you can do at home, but the stripping you cannot do at home because you should not be checking right. your own cervix. Yes, <laughs> you <don't>. should not. <laughs> don't go up there. I have had fathers who come <laughs> with their with their moms and they're like, yeah, uh, her cervix was like this or that. And I'm like, how do you <laughs> right. know that? Please stop doing that. Leave your fingers right. out of yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> unless you're like playing but don't go to the cervix right. you can play but not up there um and then so there's another way if um someone has a cervix that's um kind of already dilated so a lot of women who have had babies before their cervix once they're pregnant will be like one to three centimeters at baseline. Um, and so you can sometimes rupture their membranes and that will induce their labor and, and get them going. Usually we don't do that and right at, when it's that early on, um, usually we'll wait um, just because the longer that you're ruptured, the longer, the the higher the likelihood of getting some sort of infection, uh -huh. um, because that that membranes are the barrier between your baby and uterus and your vagina, which already has regular bacteria that every woman has, but sometimes it crawls up into the into through the cervix and into the uterus, and it can infect that area. Um, so we don't do the, the it's called AROM, artificial rupture of membranes. We don't do that that early um, because it can 
the longer that you rupture, the more likelihood that you will get infected. Now that you say the, that, mm-hmm. um, sorry yeah. to cut you off. No, um, go ahead. I mean, I'm just like reflecting back on like each of my like labors and stuff. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a provider at all. So I don't know at what point, a point in time they did this, but I did end up getting an infection when I was in labor with Caden. Um, mm-hmm. because my membranes were ruptured for such a long time, like you just said. And um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't even, I should have pulled my paper out so I could have had the exact information, but I felt like I was on, I mean, I know that they had given me Pitocin, they had mm-hmm. broke my water. Um, then I was getting, medi- I had the epidural, I was getting medicine for the infection. And then it was just so much stuff that I was on at one time. And yeah, it was, I mean, in hindsight, mm-hmm. looking back, it's just like, wow. I mean, that was a lot. Um, yeah, it can definitely feel like a lot. And like, when, when we are in there and we're watching a labor progress and if it stalls mm-hmm. out, so say we were, you, ha- you had been on the Pitocin, right? Which is the synthetic version of the oxytocin that I was talking about that your brain already makes that the uterus has the receptors for to start the contractions. Right. So we can give a synthetic version of that that's very similar to the oxytocin. And... Um, so if that's usually that's where we'll start and there's um, a mechanical way to and to do it too that I'll talk about in a moment but um, if you're already at like two to three centimeters we can start you on the pitocin at a low dose and keep going up until we get your contractions to be regular and to be adequate for cervical change for labor if we are going up on this Pitocin and you are stalling out for like hours at a time and your cervix is not changing, rupturing your membranes can make your body be like, oh, you want labor? Right. Okay, let's do this then. Okay, all right, we'll do labor then. Let's go. So that happens sometimes where we'll be like, okay, she's not making any change. We know she can have a vaginal delivery she's done it before maybe her body just needs that extra kick start and we'll go ahead and rupture the membranes um so that's that's one of the other um methods and then there's like a mechanical way that you can do called a foley bulb and it's a catheter a little tube with a balloon at the end and it's not blown up when you put it in so you put the little tube into the cervix and then you um, blow up the balloon at the end with like uh, 60 cc's of saline like a couple of you know a little bit of water um, or salt water because we never use just regular water Um, and we blow that up and we put it to tension and it kind of like hangs off the bed and it it kind of mechanically dilates your cervix to like three to five centimeters um, once it falls out. Um, And usually we also put Pitocin on at the same time. Um, But some women, uh, it can be uh, if you can't handle like a cervical check um, regularly, uh, then it will probably be a better idea to get an epidural before. Like if you feel like you can't handle 
um, the the when they check your cervix, it's a little too much because it it's not comfortable. Right. Um, the placing of the Foley bulb is a kind of like a long uh, cervical check, and um, so once it's in. Uh, it's kind of just pressure, um, but some women opt for an epidural before, or we can give a little bit of um, what's called fentanyl right before. It's kind of a shorter acting um, pain medication that we can put in your IV right before we go ahead and, and pass the, the Foley bulb through because really the placement is the hardest part. Um, and then afterwards, it's kind of just an uncomfortable pressure. So um, that's one of the other methods. There are a couple of different ways. And so a lot of times you can go through all of those. So the, the way that it goes is that we'll check your cervix, say you're like one centimeter, if that, um, then we'll probably either, or if you're like really closed, um, we can place um, a cervical ripening agent like Cytotec or Cervidil um, that will stay in for either four to 12 hours and it softens up your cervix. Um, and that's if you're all the way closed. And then if we check you again at the end of that, will place um, a Foley bulb and that will probably stay in for a few hours until it falls out. It just falls out on its own and then you're three to five centimeters. Um, and then we'll continue with the Pitocin. Um, and if you're making good change, then we'll just keep with the Pitocin. Sometimes you'll rupture on your own. If you stall out, that's when we'll probably go ahead and rupture your membranes um, on our, like artificially rupture your membranes. Um, and then you'll continue with the um, Pitocin until your contractions are regular and adequate and you're making cervical change all the way until you're ready to be 10 centimeters dilated and have a baby. Right. <laughs> and who knows how long, I mean, that can take for some people, but. It can take a very, very long time. So eat before you come to the hospital if you're going to be induced. That's like my main thing to tell people. <laughs> um, make sure you eat first, eat something good because you get ice and popsicles <laughs> and it can take like 24 plus hours um before you actually uh have meet your meet your baby so it can take a while so definitely eat beforehand I wish I was offered popsicles <laughs> I, like I mean I know I know it's just another form of ice I feel like it, in my mind it would have felt like food <laughs> Aside, and I just ice. learned that we can, yeah, we can, um, we flavor our ice. You can get like bubblegum flavor ice. Oh, wow. I need, oh. well, I'm not having any more kids, but I need to come <laughs> where you are. <laughs> I like just learned that. Like, I've been here about four, four or five months, and I just learned like this past month that you can flavor the ice. But we don't give anybody anything that has like bread flavoring right. because if you like throw up, which happens a lot in labor, if you throw up and it's red, we get worse so we don't give you red things so that we know that it's not blood right 
yeah oh that's so funny um (laughs) so thank you for that I mean I feel like I mean I'm still even learning so much and I'm not sure if there's a method or if it's just case by case like how do you all decide like that a person who gets what yeah like I was not Mm -hmm. offered um the Foley bulb or Cytotech mm-hmm. or is it Cervidil? Cervidil. Cervidil. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't offered so, any of those things, and I didn't know that. Which? Ask. How? Um, which baby was that? Like one. what number baby? One. Your first mm-hmm. induction. Okay. So usually, what the reason why we give Cytotech or Cervidil is if your your cervix is like closed long and high meaning like it's like a dimple like we're not going to be able to get anything in there that's when we do and especially if you like were running up the bed from us when we were trying (laughs) to check your cervix (laughs) that happens like we'll get okay let's just place this side attack this cervical and go from there um as far as the foley bulb goes if you are like and some people, you know, they'll just go ahead and do um, uh, like a site, like start you on their Pitocin if you're two centimeters dilated. Right. Mm-hmm. That was me. Um, <laughs> right. So if you're two centimeters, you can usually, cause that's a pretty favorable cervix and Pitocin usually does the job. Um, the only reason like we do the Foley is if you're like less than two, okay. um, because it can, it can, um, it can slide through that cervix if it's less than two centimeters. Um, and then, um, it can be placed, but it's, it's not worth the, I guess the discomfort and pain, um, to put the Foley bulb in just for another like two right. centimeters it, versus it the one. Mm-hmm. yeah that definitely makes sense so um what I wanted to talk about next were um what were some of the risks of being induced right so some of the risks for like the potential complications so the risk for vaginal delivery it's the same as for c-section the risks include bleeding infection and damage to surrounding organs so with bleeding There are medications that we can give you depending on your medical history to get the uterus to contract down after the baby is out, which is why a lot of women bleed afterwards because this uterus has been, you know, stretched out for months and sometimes it just doesn't feel like contracting back down. So we can give medication to get that to contract down. If that doesn't work, then they would have to give you blood. Blood is cleaned and screened from the blood bank. There is a small risk of bloodborne illnesses like HIV or hepatitis. Okay, and we always ask for permission to give blood before we do that, and it's only to save your life. And then, as far as infection, which is one of the other risks, we would give you antibiotics, none that you're allergic to in order to treat infection that happens. Like I said, if you've been ruptured for too long or sometimes it just happens um, just because, because there's already vaginal bacteria that's normal. And then as far as damage to surrounding organs, a lot of times with moms with their first babies, they tear. So the labia, the vagina, that's the surround, one of the surrounding organs. Your urethra is there, which you pee out of. 
Um, and if it was to be for a C-section, your bladder is in that area and so are your bowels, um, your fallopian tubes, all of those things are there. If there was any damage, we would fix them. And if we couldn't, there would, we would call someone who could, but there's very, I have not had to call anybody. There's very rarely any instance where there's like a bowel injury or anything. Right. Um, that's too extensive for us to handle. Um, and so those are some of the, like the risks as, of having a baby, period. Right. And then as far as complications with inducing someone, so with the Pitocin or the side attacks, so a lot of people, sometimes people don't like to use the side attack because once it's in your system, that's it. And sometimes the uterus will react very strongly to it and will contract too much. And all you can do at that point is give something to just stop the contractions altogether. So sometimes you can take like a two steps forward, one step forward and two steps right. back if you have to stop the contractions. Mm -hmm. So the Pitocin is good for that because you can just half the amount and then that will decrease how frequent your contractions are going. So there's more um, control with that. Um, there is some risk of like water intoxication. There's something that's just a little too complicated to kind of explain, but, um, and it's extremely rare, um, but that's one of the risks of Pitocin and it doesn't happen that often and you would just half it and it takes like maybe 20 minutes to get out of your system. The half-life of it is only three to five minutes and so um, it will decrease and it shouldn't be a problem after you can give them a break after like 30, 40 minutes. Um, rupture of the uterus um, is very, very rare. It's extremely rare and it's more common in women who have had c-sections before because there's a, a weakness there's a scar already on their uterus and that's why if you had two or three c-sections before people you're gonna it's gonna be real hard pressed to find a physician or an obstetrician that's gonna induce your labor they're just gonna offer you another c-section because the 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 risk of rupture goes up exponentially like the more c-sections that you have i want to just interject right there not to yeah. counter anything you said but um i did just want to share um, my experience briefly with what you just said <laughs> um so I had, I had three um, births um, mm -hmm. and my first two were C-sections and I did have a successful V-back with oh, yay. Yes. And I have to agree with you. It was, I mean, it's funny because um, I attend a practice um, where it's like rotating doctors and midwives and things like that. So you don't know who you're going to get. Um, they want you to mm -hmm. meet everyone and etc. And there was only, I think there were about eight of them all together and only two of them were pro um, VBAC. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I knew that when I was pregnant with my when I um, had my second son. So when I got pregnant mm -hmm. with Sarai, I was like, I'm not going to them. I'm going to try and find mm -hmm. a provider who's pro VBAC. Like, I don't even want to talk to the two that's already there because what if I get the six and 
all the mm-hmm. other stuff. And um, it was so hard. I went to like five different doctor appointments trying to find. Yeah. And it was even harder because I had two C-sections. If it was just one, okay, yeah. maybe they would have entertained it. But um, I ended up just going back with my practice. And um, I mean, it literally all worked out. Actually, um kept booking all my appointments with the one provider that I really liked who was pro um, VBAC and Mm -hmm. um, she was actually a woman of color a black a black woman which I love as well Mm -hmm. Um, and when I went in to labor I mean I labored for 41 hours with Sarai before she was born Um, but I did also so much research on just what was allowable and like what I wanted for myself, right? So as long as, and I just kept asking, as long as myself and my baby are not in danger, like just leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And she was like the first doctor that was there when I went in was a little skeptical about it. She was actually really against um, a VBAC, but because mm-hmm. I had like the support of a doula and um, like I said, done the research that I did, um, her mm-hmm. shift was over and she didn't think that I, she thought I was going to eventually have a c-section and um, the doctor who delivered was the one who was pro VBAC so she like came in and it was mm-hmm. completely different she came in and was just like I'm here like I heard you've been here already for x amount of hours I'm gonna leave you alone till the morning and I mean she didn't check she checked on me but she didn't do any vaginal mm-hmm. checks or anything like that and she kind of literally just let my body just do its thing, which um, I know not everyone would be fortunate enough to have a situation like that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I was just so proud of myself um, and grateful that she came in because I'm sure mm-hmm. someone else might have wanted to um, rush me along or whatever the case may have mm-hmm. been. But it can be done. It's just hard to find a provider <laughs> who will right. support you. Yeah. But, oh, I said that mm-hmm. to say, um, so, I mean, I did a little bit of research about, because they definitely didn't want to, they couldn't induce me if I, like they said, you have to go into labor on your own. And, and it yeah. was ironic because I actually went into false labor. My water just prematurely broke. So I wasn't even in labor. Mm. So the odds were already working against me. Against like you're not even you. in labor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. um, I, once I got to about seven centimeters they did give me a small 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 dosage of pitocin um that I was yeah. okay with um I actually think mm-hmm. I asked for it because <laughs> I was like I did not come this far <laughs> to have a right like, to stall out it did turn out perfectly fine um with the small dosage that that they did give me so that's awesome to hear I'm glad that you were able to advocate for yourself have your doula there and have a doctor that was willing to you know be on the same page as you um that's yeah, beautiful it was, I'm it happy that you were able amazing. to have that it was and I'll talk about it more because it's too. Um, I'll yeah about c-sections and talk about the v but mm-hmm. I just wanted to plug that in because at first I was just like well, why can't you yeah. just give me pitocin <laughs> like Mm-mm. And then they explained pretty much <laughs> what you just said. And so, uh-huh. yes, yes. 
Yeah. So rupture is what you worry about when you have a previous scar, but I'm glad that you were able to successfully um, be back. Um, And then as far as like rupturing membranes also has a risk associated with it. Um, You can have a cord prolapse and that's a reason for a stat C-section because the cord being compressed like that and coming out like that the baby can't come because it's um, that's its lifeline. So if the cord is out in the vagina, what happens is there someone will ride on the bed with you back to like with their hand in your vagina, wow. holding that cord up so that it's not coming all the way out. And so the baby is still getting oxygen and they'll stay there. They'll, we will drape put the drape over that person with them in the bed they'll get on the bed with you all of that until we get the baby out because it is very dangerous with that cord but that doesn't happen that often like I've had it happen one time and uh that's it that's not a common thing that happens but it is a part of the um the the risks um And yeah, and then as far as like when I was talking about the stripping of the membranes, if someone has what's called, if their placenta is over the, uh, the cervix, um, called the placenta previa if the placenta is there and it was undiagnosed because ultrasound is not a hundred percent but it's very you know it's 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 accurate but it's not a hundred percent so if they didn't see that you have your placenta over your cervix and you go to strip the membranes then you can really cause a lot of bleeding that way um but that again, it's usually is if you you have someone who you know you haven't had prenatal care and you don't know where their placenta is because it's fairly easy to visualize the placenta on ultrasound. So those are some of the risks um, as far as uh, inducing labor. A lot of them are just the same as a regular, you know, if you were to go into labor on your own. Right. Um, I wanted to say earlier when you were talking about um, like stripping of the membranes, um, I had mm-hmm. that done with I think it was my second pregnancy. Um, But I hear so many Mm -hmm. stories about um, women or um, just pregnant people um, saying after the fact that that's what their provider did and they didn't know about it um, and that they just knew something was Mm. off and just really uncomfortable. And um, but and then it'll come back that that's what they did. Um, and that mm-hmm. was not my experience. Um, my provider told me she she asked me that I that I want her to do that, and I didn't know what it what it was. And then she explained it, yeah. and I'm like, well, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, right. So um, if anyone, I mean, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but if anyone is um, listening to this, interested in having their membrane swept when the time comes, if the time comes, I would just advise you mm-hmm. to talk to your provider about it beforehand. Um, so that they mm-hmm. kind of know that you're aware of it as well. <laughs> and not saying that your provider yeah. just going to sneak and do it. But um, like I said, I've heard so many stories um, of the, them mm-hmm. not necessarily consenting to having it done. I mean, I didn't have to sign off on a paper or anything about it when I say consent. Right. But um, but it, it was. So just verbally yeah. knowing what exactly, exactly is going on. So, 
Yeah, there are a lot of um, old school physicians um, who uh their their mentality it's very much so like the paternal type of thing where it would be like okay this is what I'm gonna do um and we'll just go from there versus how I try to do it is like we're all on a team together and so I try to give as much information as possible to get you to the um to an educated decision and get you and make sure that you know what's going on. Um, but yeah, I know that there are physicians who um, don't have that same mentality. Um, and you kind of are, you're just so you, everyone listening knows you are allowed to fire your physician. You're allowed to fire them. You're allowed to switch. Um a lot of time and try to do it earlier because a lot of physicians if you're after a certain amount of time they won't take you on as a doc as a patient um as a residency program we don't we don't have that that luxury I've never turned down anybody um uh to to who wanted to come to us for care in fact we get some people who their physicians have hired them sometimes if they don't get their prenatals or if they're on a cup a bunch of different you know illicit drugs and stuff there they don't feel comfortable treating that patient because the outcomes and they can't it, it's just it's a lot on them um that can come back and bite them so they'll they'll send them to us and we're glad well, to that take is care good of to hear. any and everybody. I'm like, listen, again, I don't want another kid, but <laughs> I'm going to come find you if I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, thank you. Well, um, I think we've pretty much covered like the meat of um, talking about being induced. But I just wanted to know if you had any additional tips on, um, I mean, even just some words of encouragement. I worked with so many, or not so many, but a few moms who their their doctor provider says like, oh, we might have to start thinking about um, getting a date on the calendar for you to be induced. And they freak out. And um, I mean, I, I know, especially if they don't know much about mm-hmm. it or what it's going to entail, like you just gave us a, like a walk through it. <laughs> um, the unknown is very scary, especially when it has to do with your mm-hmm. unborn child. Um, so if there, um, I mean, I know it's kind of like a twofold, but yeah. if there are any other ways that, um, pregnant people can prepare to be induced, I know you said eat, <laughs> that's like one of your number one thing, like make sure you eat. <laughs> yes. Eat. Um, I would say to eat, I would say that I've seen a lot of women come in with these cute little nightgowns that open to the front, um, bring at least two because when you rupture or anything like that or throw up or something you might get things on it so get two of those bring some cute little socks um you can bring a diffuser to get the room smelling nice get a playlist going you know so you have you can have like a labor uh playlist and your pushing playlist um what else um definitely eat like I said uh I think that's about it there was one other thing that I kind of wanted to speak on as far as like the indications for why would why you would get induced and it's a little 
Uh, yeah, and it's a little bit more like sad. So if you have a loss, um, then and you're not in labor or anything like that, that actually happened to someone this week that I had. She was like further along. She was in her third trimester and. It was actually really hard. This is the first time that that happened to me where the nurse called me from the OBED and she was like, yeah, I can't find a heartbeat. And I was like, oh, damn. She's like 31 weeks. So I went in there. I couldn't find it either with the ultrasound. And so I had to tell her like, I'm sorry, you know, your baby has passed and you have to induce that labor. And that can take just as long as you know, the labor for um, when you get a baby at the end of it. And I know that's a whole yes. different episode and I'm sure you'll probably have one for loss. Um, but that is another indication for induction. And it is um, a very sad one. Um, it's if you're after 28 weeks, um, they're going to go ahead and have to induce you because there's no other way to really get that baby out. Um, but that is one of the other inductions that I just had forgot to say um, and that can be on a whole different episode but as far as when you want to get your you know take your baby home with you um, definitely have some socks definitely have a cute little nightgown that opens towards the front <laughs> uh, a waterproof <laughs> mascara <laughs> if you want to wear if you want to wear mascara because sometimes right. it gets a little smudged and you look a little crazy in your pictures uh, um yeah and then if your significant other whoever else is right. in there wants to eat get them something that don't smell good get them some like candy or something that doesn't smell up the whole room but yeah diffusers and playlists and all of that oh you can bring a Roku or like your game console so you can watch something on the TV that you actually want to watch. We have some people do right. that because <laughs> our cable in our hospital is not the best. <laughs> so bring something to watch. Um, and yeah, rest as much as you can while you're actually um, laboring. You can get the epidural as long as you can stay still for it and as long as the baby's <laughs> head isn't coming out while you're sitting up for the epidural. So you can you can hold off as long as you can be still for it. But some people, you know, they go quick after they hit like six or seven centimeters and then it's like, I should have got my epidural before because it takes like 45 minutes maybe to get the actual epidural because they'll give you some fluids before they do it. And that has to run for like 20 minutes. This so. was so informative. Yeah. I mean, like I said, mm. I work um, <laughs> sometimes one-on-one and sometimes um, with a group of expectant moms, depending on if I'm able to get some together who are due around the same time. And um, one person will come back, one might have their baby and be like, well, I had to get induced. And person's like, well, I don't think I'll have to get induced because whatever their reasoning is, but I still think it's important to know this information just in case, right, for any, um, for, I mean, it's, it's good information to know in case you do mm -hmm. find yourself in the situation. Um, so again, thank you so much for yeah. taking um, the time out to talk with me and share this information and the processes, the methods, the indicators, the risks, and all the other um, good stuff about being induced. Um, and yes, you did 
um, you already mentioned what I was going to mention that there will be an episode on um, loss. Um, and like I said, another episode on C-section. So um, please be on the lookout for those episodes. Um, yeah. And I just wanted to thank you for this work that you're doing. This is extremely important. Um, and, you know, it just kind of takes down some of that fear and anxiety that a lot of women and moms have. First mom, second mom, you know, all the, the hospital is a scary place for a lot of people. And these conversations that we have outside of the hospital are really important and this is really great work that you're doing and thank yes, you for thank you so much for accepting i know um, you. you're probably busy often so it really means so much um to me that we were able to find this time to record and get this information out so thank you thank you thank you yeah. um and if you want to just reiterate um your social media again in case anybody didn't catch it in the beginning um, then we can leave them with that um, in case they want to follow you or send you a DM and ask you a follow-up question or something of the sorts. Yes, of course. So my Instagram is mego no good, um, M-E-G-O-N-O-G-O-O-D. It's not necessarily like a professional uh, account. Maybe I should get one, but that's just <laughs> my Instagram. Um, and yes. I'd be glad to answer any questions. And if questions, you um, even want um, to just reach out to me, ability. if that's easier, I can send um, the questions and or introduce you guys in one message or something mm -hmm. uh, to continue this conversation mm -hmm. and I I I love to mentor also so any any you know med students that are going through um, or pre-med students anything like that I have a couple of people that I try to give advice to and get here because I'm the first physician in my family and I know how difficult it can be to even know how everything goes and what the processes are so well, thank I'm you here for those well I hope people someone out also. there takes you up on that offer <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and again congratulations on your success <laughs> and I'm super excited for where you'll continue to go so best of luck and well wishes for you and your career and all of the families, women and moms that you interact with and, and will come into, and into paths with. So I'm excited for you. <laughs> all Thank right. You well, so until much. next time, guys, thanks. thanks for tuning in and we'll be back with another episode. <laughs>